the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored Know the Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy reminds us to cling to the rock that does not move. I would remind you and me, don't pin your identity or your security on people's acceptance or applause. Because it will come and it will go. I encourage you to throw yourself upon God day by day. Find your security in His unaltering presence and unfailing love. When we're basking in the limelight, we can get addicted to all the praise and feel pretty inflated about ourselves. But popularity rarely lasts long, and the downward slope can be a pretty lonely decline. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy talks about the causes and cures for loneliness. It's one portion from a study in Ecclesiastes called Only the Lonely. Perhaps you find yourself feeling isolated these days. Well, we can find wisdom and comfort in God's Word. Presenting a biblical perspective on loneliness, here's Philip DeCourcy. I invite you to take your Bible and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We have before us a person who does not understand this balance of rest and work. The workaholic who labors to enjoy the fruit of his labor. But there's a problem for this guy. He does it alone. In these verses, Solomon sets before us another member of the Lonely Hearts Club. But this time, this man's loneliness has been brought about by force of circumstances. Not everybody's loneliness is their own fault. And I think that's the case with this man here in verse 8. Perhaps he never married. That's why he's got no son. And certainly doesn't relate to the fact that he's got no brother. And it doesn't mean that he didn't want to marry. Just perhaps circumstances didn't allow it. Maybe he was widowed early in his life, and therefore he's without family. Something of that is the picture before us. But we know that this guy is by himself, and he's not really enjoying what he has because life is a shared experience. Life is a team sport. So let's just pause. We need to hear this. What we need to remind ourselves of is that riches are no substitute for relationships. Just think about that. Money is a commodity. It's a means of exchange. And there's nothing wrong with that. But people are not a commodity. We don't buy and sell people. We buy and sell stuff. Listen to the words of Tommy Nelson in his book on Ecclesiastes. I think it's called Life with God. How many mothers and fathers have exchanged their children for $10,000, for $20,000 extra a year? How many young consultants make great money but don't have any friends because they travel every week? How many Scrooges have accumulated huge nest eggs but no friends? Get about the business of raising your family. 
in a way that there's deep love between husband and wife, parent and child, brother and sister. That's what counts in the long run. People count, not things, not stuff. And this guy, I think, lives long enough to realize because it's inferred. And for who are you toiling? You know, here, here you are knocking yourself dead. And when you're dead, this stuff's going to go to auction because you have neither son or sibling. You've got no legacy. And I think that's worth thinking about just for a moment. We need to spend our lives impacting other people's lives. Realize that it's not the duration of your life that counts. It's the donation. The donation of your life. Look at verse 13. Better a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who will be admonished no more, for he comes out of prison to be king, although he was born poor in his kingdom. I saw all of the living who walk under the sun. They were with the second youth who stands in his place. There was no end of all the people over whom he was made king. Yet, interestingly, may we put in parenthesis, those who come afterward will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a grasping for the wind. Solomon said, here's another thing that makes life frustrating, okay? You've got the loneliness of the oppressed. You've got the envy of the workaholic. You've got the lack of legacy on the part of that lonely office worker. And now you've got the loneliness of the king who was popular for a while. But then some upstart comes along and turfs him out on his ear. This is what I call loneliness caused by crowning. Loneliness caused by crowning. The fourth and final portrait centers on the elevation and fall of an old king. And if you read verse 13, you'll realize that this old king seems to have got out of touch with the people. Okay, he's not listening anymore. His best years are in the past. He's lost touch with the people. He lives in a bubble. He's surrounded by advisors who simply tell him what he wants to hear. You're great, O Majesty. You're wonderful, our Lord. Someone said that flattery is like perfume. It's worth smelling, but never swallow it. This guy was swallowing it. He was believing his own press clippings. And no one had the guts in his cabinet or within his court to say, you know what? I think we left the people behind about a year ago. They're not listening anymore because you're not listening anymore. That's the picture. So the people, they're looking to put their trust somewhere else. And you know what? Over in the projects, (laughs) this young man starts talking and he weaves his words. He's a crafty communicator and he catches the imagination of the people. And then the enthusiasm spills out from that district into another district. And before long, you've got a rising political star, a new Messiah who comes with a message of peace and prosperity for the people. And they're hungry. This guy speaks their language. He comes from their side of the tracks. And before long, The king's got an uprising on his hand because he's got an upstart in the kingdom. And what does it say? Before long, my goodness, this young man who's poor, but he's been listening to the people and he's given them what they want to hear. Now he's over a kingdom. You can hardly count the people. Verse 16. But hold on. We're not done. The political merry-go-round keeps going round. What goes round comes around. But this ends up in verse 16 with what? Then there's a generation that comes up behind this young king 
who don't like him. He's not listening anymore, perhaps. Or his shine and, and brilliance has faded. And you get behind all the rhetoric, he's just as empty as everybody else. And he gets turfed out on his ear. The exact meaning of the verses we can't be sure about. But I would think, listening to how I expounded that, hopefully it makes sense and is true to the text. What we've got here is the whole thought of waning popularity. And the whole idea of loneliness caused by crowning. But the realization that you won't be a hero for very long. Few people are. In a short space of time, anyone can go from hero to zero. The people rushed to Samuel the prophet back in the Old Testament. Give us a king like the other nations. Samuel says, we don't need a king. God's our king. We're a covenant people. We're priests within his kingdom, subjects before his throne. But they're not listening. Samuel, get us a king. And someone steps forward. He's tall. He's handsome. He's macho. He meets the profile of an earthly king. He's a warrior. His name's Saul. And for a while, Saul enjoys prosperity and popularity. But you know what? He makes some missteps. Certainly on the spiritual side, he makes a complete mess of things. And before long, God's looking for a young man after his own heart, and he pops up on the horizon. And it all comes about when the crowd notifies Saul, hey, your day is over. You've slain your thousands, but David his tens of thousands. We're going to have a new king in Israel now. So we go from Saul to David. Then you go from David to Solomon and from Solomon to a whole bunch of kings, the merry-go-round. Go to the New Testament. You go from Jesus to Barabbas. Amazing, isn't it? Easter week, Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem. The people are there in their droves. Bunting is out. The flags are waving. The palm trees are put out in Jesus' path. And he enters the city on a donkey to the sound of the people. Hosanna, Hosanna, son of David. We see the salvation of the Lord. But you know what? The week's hardly done. Half the people will be in Pilate's courtyard crying for blood. We will not have this man to reign over us. Hold on a minute. What in the world is going on? Hero to zero. Heal him, kneel him. Pilate wants to be done with this. He knows he's got an innocent man in Jesus before him. His wife elbowed him during the night and said, hey, I had a dream. You want to stay well clear of this. This is a grenade with a pen out. Just leave it alone. And so he tries to get himself off the hook. He says to the people, you know, once a year you can pick someone and I'll give them clemency. They'll get a presidential pardon. Let's get them out. What do you think? Jesus or Barabbas? He thinks it's a no-brainer. And there's utter shock. What do they cry? Barabbas? Barabbas? That's just two examples of what we're talking about here. Oliver Cromwell, 1650. He's traveling through Northampton, England with a friend, John Lambert. He's impressed by the cheering crowds, that is John Lambert, but not old Cromwell. He's more politically savvy, and he turns to his young friend who's kind of getting caught up in the euphoria, and he says, quote, These very people who shout as much as they do this day would shout just the same if we were going to be hanged. That's true. Winston Churchill, turfed out in 1945. Can you believe that? The British people during the dark days of the Blitz of London and the possible invasion of the British Isles by the Nazis, hanging on every word that dripped from Churchill's lips. We'll fight them on the beaches. 
you know? We'll fight them with broken bottles. We'll fight them down to our last man. They cried to America, give us the tools. Give us more armaments. We'll finish the job after Dunkirk. And we could go on quoting his words that raised the spirit of the British people. But as soon as the war was done, Churchill was done. I really heard him. I've read a number of books on Churchill. In fact, the king tries to alleviate his sorrow and offers him a great honor. He's to be inducted into the royal order of the garter, which is a real honor in the British kingdom. Initially, Churchill refuses, although he ultimately accepts. But he does say initially, how can I receive the royal order of the garter from the king when I have received the royal order of the boot from the people? Former Dallas Cowboy quarterback Don Meredith is famous for the statement about quarterbacks. Today you're in the penthouse, tomorrow the outhouse. It's lonely in the outhouse. It's a difficult thing to adjust to, isn't it? When you're riding high and your numbers were good, all of a sudden, you know what? They're taking the name off your office door. What do you do with that? Loneliness caused by crowning and then subsequent fall. Well, get used to it for starters, because that's life. It's the way it works in this world. It's marked by vanity. It's true of quarterbacks, pastors, politicians, civic leaders, businessmen. Popularity doesn't last. Today's winners are tomorrow's losers. You can't be the prom queen forever. Become the president of the PTA or the Rotary Club. Get elected to public office. Become the chairman of your homeowners association. You'll be ahead of the game if more than half the people like you when you're done. Two quick applications. I would remind you and me, don't pin your identity or your security on people's acceptance or applause. Because it will come and it will go. People will come into your life. People will go out of your life. Their love will fail you. Their loyalty will have a shelf time to it. Ultimately, you can't bank your hope in men or women, even your spouse or your parents. And I'm not saying that cynically. I'm not saying that to excuse infidelity or irresponsibility. We have obligations to one another, and by God's grace, we need to fulfill them. But being fallen, being finite, being fickle, we won't do it well sometimes. And others will do it disastrously. So much to the point where Psalm 20 verse 7 says what? Even though your mother and father forsake you, the Lord will take you up. Wow, it's an interesting promise. It's kind of sorry scene, isn't it? A child forsaken by its parents. But God's going to be that father, that mother to that child. I encourage you to throw yourself upon God day by day. Find your security in His unaltering presence and unfailing love. I may have told you the story before of a pastor friend of mine, Richard Rennie, who pastored a little Baptist church on the north coast of Northern Ireland. And he was a traditionalist at heart, somewhat stubborn. When Richard set his mind on doing something, there was no shaking him. And so the deacons in the church had advised him, you know what, pastor, the prayer meeting and Bible study between Christmas and New Year, it's not going to fly. People are going to be all over the place. And it was a small church anyway. So any major drop in attendance given the holidays would, you know, didn't make it worthwhile. But he wouldn't listen. And he had his meeting regardless. And the deacons found out that there was three people there. The pastor, his wife, and the organist. So the following week, not to tease them, but they did say, hey, pastor, you know, there wasn't many there. We heard 
And we told you. Richard said, well, that's okay. There were six of us. He said, my wife was there. I was there. The organist was there. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit was there. I don't know if that's a testimony to his stubbornness or perhaps a little window into a man who really is beyond the reach of people's applause and acceptance and lives in the daily presence of the Father, the Son, and the the Holy Spirit. Last thought. I think this is also a reminder of the fleeting power of political power. My goodness, we're a year out, a year and a half out, and all we're hearing is about presidential politics, you know? It's crazy, isn't it? But it's a good reminder, maybe listening to what Solomon has said here, a king himself talking about the rise and fall of one king, another king, and then the rise of another king. Certain administrations have hardly unpacked their boxes and yet they've been sent packing. One-term presidents, political messiahs come and political messiahs go because the people are easily swayed. We have a fickle populace. They're not driven by core convictions. They're caught up in the moment, you know? I was listening yesterday. You know what? The president's presidency will be determined by gas prices. Why? I'm not saying that that's unimportant. That's not the issue I vote on, is it? Is it the one you vote on? That's going to come and go. What's our core convictions? What do we want America to look like? What's our past? What's our present? Are we following our finding Father's vision? I don't know. I probably not because people are all over the place. They're not anchored anywhere. It's the moment. It's themselves. It's the need of the hour. And the president that can tap into whatever's going on in the moment's most likely to get elected. And he won't last maybe more than a term or two terms because it'll be a whole different set of circumstances and a whole different generation or voting block that will determine who's up and who's down. I'm not being cynical. Certainly not telling you and I not to be interested in the political affairs of our country. I'm just reminding us, you know what? That all comes and goes. It's a merry-go-round. Let's just maybe get our perspective and lower our expectations and maybe focus on the fact that there is one. Think about this. I thought about it as I was writing this sermon. There's one who's never been unseated. (laughs) That's our king. Who, according to Daniel 4, whose dominion is forever. Who, according to Daniel 2, raises kings up and put kings down. In fact, Jesus, when he was born, what did Simeon say of him? He will be the cause of kingdoms rising and kingdoms falling. And ultimately, there will come that moment, even so come Lord Jesus, when the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God. There's a king who's never been unseated. There's a throne that is higher. And in troublesome days and in difficult days, you and I need to put our focus Last story and last thought. On the night of Abraham Lincoln's death, a crowd of 50,000 people gathered in front of the Exchange Building in New York City. Emotions were running high. There was mayhem. There was anxiety. There was a good chance the crowd might become a mob and violence would erupt. 
But into the midst of that melee, a man dressed in an officer's uniform steps out onto the building's balcony. His voice is clear, his voice is calm, his voice is confident. And he says, quote, fellow citizens, clouds and darkness are round about him. His pavilions is dark waters. His thick clouds of the skies, justice and judgment are the establishment of his throne. Mercy and truth go before his face. Fellow citizens, God reigns and the government in Washington still lives. Do you know who that was? That was James Garfield, who would soon become president and then himself soon assassinated. We need to hear that. On a macro, micro level, God reigns. Whatever government's in power, whatever president's in the Oval Office, God reigns. He's been unseated and he will remain unseated. Therefore, be still and know that he is God. Let's pray. Lord, we wrestle with this vanity, this daily frustration. Lord, this world is marked by oppression, and there are millions who are crying out at the end of a rifle for someone to deliver them from the oppressor who seems to have all the power and who's wrapped up the courts of justice. Lord, we see people trampling on their neighbors trying to climb that ladder of success. We live in a dog-eat-dog world, a rat race to accumulate more and more while we love each other less and less, where we feel more lonely and lost and empty. Lord, we see so much change. We hear about cabinet shifts. We hear about new appointments. We think about coming elections, and and Lord, we get caught up in the merry-go-round of political ups and downs. Lord, we can feel disconnected, disoriented. Help us to remember to find our identity and security in you. Help us to realize that God reigns. Lord, you are seated above, that there's no panic in heaven. The Trinity never meets an emergency session. Your kingdom is coming. Your will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. And ultimately, that will all come to an historical moment when Jesus will return to earth and set up his kingdom in Jerusalem, and he will reign wherever the sun does its successive journeys run. Help us to be focused there. Help us to find our identity in your love. Help us to find our hope in your return. For we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's time we trade our security to other people's praises for a true identity in Christ. This is Know the Truth, and you're listening to a message from Philip DeCourcy. It's called Only the Lonely. I'm Wayne Shepherd. For resources related to our study, visit us online at ktt.org. Know the Truth is a resource to both laypersons and pastors. And Philip wants to extend a special invitation to pastors and men in church leadership to attend the KTT Pastors Conference on Thursday, November 1st. It will be held at his home church, Kindred Community Church in Anaheim Hills, California. And Philip will be sharing the pulpit with Pastor Tony Marita from Raleigh, North Carolina. This all-day event is free, and you can register online. Again, our web address is ktt.org. Now, a topic that concerns us all, who do you trust? We all know even the most well-intentioned people can let us down, but God never will. 
Deepen your faith in God with Jerry Bridges' classic book, Trusting God. Jerry wrote this book while his wife was suffering with cancer and later as he grieved her loss. It's a book for everyone who needs to bolster their confidence in God's care and provision even when life hurts. We'll send this book, Trusting God, when you sign up to become a monthly Truth Ambassador or when you give a one-time gift today. We can't bring Know the Truth to you every day without your support, so call in your gift to 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. If you prefer, you can mail your donation to Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. And remember to ask for the book, Trusting God. Again, our phone number is 888-644-8811. And our web address is ktt.org. That's all the time we have for today. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd, inviting you back Tuesday for more Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. An exciting new book from Regnery looks at the power of love and intimacy from a godly perspective. It's called Love and Sex, A Christian Guide to Healthy Intimacy. Sex is powerful. Just saying the word can stir up all kinds of emotions inside people. Maybe it's a positive emotion for you or a hurtful, shameful, confusing one. It's no wonder we humans struggle to understand its meaning and purpose. Hi, I'm Nancy Houston, a sex therapist, leadership coach, and licensed professional counselor. After counseling hundreds of clients about the topic of intimacy, I decided to write Love and Sex, a Christian guide to healthy intimacy. Love and Sex is filled with life-changing, compelling stories to help us all reconnect to love and is biblically based on the truths of God's Word. Get your copy now of best-selling author Nancy Houston's compelling new book, Love and Sex, a Christian guide to healthy intimacy. Available now at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.